So give yourself a hand. Amen? Amen. Well, uh, turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 90. And uh, we are gonna, we're on our series called Margin, and we're talking about having margin in time, that, that we have extra time in our lives. How many guys need more, more time, right? And you guys know there's only 24 hours in the day. So I, wanna, I wanna, want you to you know, go through these messages that we've talked about and, and, and get margin. You know, God wants you to have time to, number one, be with him, be with your family, and do things for the Lord. Amen? And, uh, and so, you know, you evaluate everything that we've gone through. Evaluate your family. Evaluate your, your work life. Evaluate everything. And say, God, I, I, I want to have margin. So I can, I can go. I can do. I can have time with my family and disciple my family and move forward. Next week, we're going to start on margin with our finances. I'm excited about that. I'm believing people are going to be set free um, in their finances, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to that. But today, I, I have one last thing. I, I felt like I, I, I thought I was going to start with finances today, but I really felt like I needed to hit one more thing. And I'm going to talk to you as parents, okay? How many guys have, have, have kids, or, have, or maybe kids are out of the house, but you're a parent in here in one, one way or the other, okay? Um, if you're not a parent, if you're single in here and you don't have any kids, listen up because you may be a parent one day, okay? Uh, or you could help other people that, that you know with what I'm going to talk about today. If you're an empty nester and says, well, my parenting days are over, how many empty nesters know you still are a parent, right? And, um, and uh, uh, you still have influence. And so I want you to listen up because not only do you help, maybe help your own kids with their parenting, but you can help other people okay, um, that you know that may need uh, help in parenting, okay? And so as parents, we should be led by the Holy Spirit, right? All of us should be led by the Holy Spirit and how we do everything, how we, how we uh, conduct ourselves uh, personally, how, but especially how we parent. And maybe there's one thing in this message that will help you, okay? That may prompt you to say, there's an area in my life that I may be out of balance that I need margin in, okay? One of the things that the, when I, when I talk, to, talk to parents, I want you to, number one, understand there is no perfect parent, right? No perfect parent. So there's some things that I'm going to deal with you on that I want you to understand that you're, it, I'm not pointing at you. There is no parent in here that I'm thinking about except for Kevin Hamill. But there's not, no, I'm joking, Kevin. He just sat down. I just saw. I'm joking. It's not your wife. It's just you, man. No, I mean, there, there's, there's some things. You know, what the enemy tries to do in any kind of message, to bring shame and to bring condemnation. Anytime shame or condemnation comes into your life, what, it, what is it trying to do? To, for you to build up a wall and not receive. Right? And so don't build up a wall today because I, I may step on maybe your toes a little bit. I may, you may have, you know, we all have sacred cows in our life, right? You know, put the toilet seat down. That may be a sacred cow in your life. You know, uh, close the door when you come in. Put, take off your shoe. There could be sacred cows, you know. There could be sacred cows on how you parent. And, but the whole thing is, you are to be led by the Holy Spirit. You are entrusted by God with your kids. You know, they're not your kids. 
They're gods. But he thought you worthy enough to entrust you with them. Wow. So he's going to equip you and give you what you need. But we just need to listen to the word of God and see how, how we need to parent. And it's so important. Because maybe today you'll really realize there's another option than what, how you're doing things. Just like Moses last week. Remember Moses? He had a Jethro. There was another way of doing something. He thought his way was right, but it wasn't. Okay? So there's another, uh, another option. So you must be led as a parent. Because a lot of times what we've done, we have drank the Kool-Aid, right? Of being busy. Of having a lot of things, thinking that we need to be go, 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 go. And we are actually sometimes are force-feeding our kids the same thing. And so what we need to do is what the Bible tells us as parents. We aim our children like arrows. We, we point them into the direction that they're supposed to be going. That we believe that God says this is where they're going to go. And, um, and if we want our kids to like something or dislike something, you know you influence your kids. From early on, preschool age to elementary is the most formidable uh, time, the time that they are, listen, they are engaged, that's the time that they are influenced. Did you know your kids like the Chiefs because you like the Chiefs? God forbid they were born in Oakland. <laughs> they would be Raiders fans. You are blessed. Amen. God. Amen. So you influence, I influence my kids. You know, early on, Julia, you know, I don't like peas. You know, the green little things. I don't, the round, the nasty of, of the devil. I do not like peas. All I had to mention that one time to Julia, and she does not like peas. She has become holier because of that. <laughs> so we aim them, we point them, but what, what better way to point them to Jesus? That they will follow anytime, whatever you point your kids to, most likely they will follow as an adult. Okay? They'll follow. Now remember, I want you, I'm going to stress this. There's no condemnation. All of us have messed up as, as, as parents. And listen, if, if your kids aren't following Jesus right now, listen, you be a prayer. There's nothing that can stop a praying mama. We have people get saved all the time. And they tell us some of their story. And they said, I was raised in church. I went away from the Lord. Ultimately, the kids have to choose this, right? You know that? But I know my mom had prayed for me. I know my dad was praying for me. So God's going to bring them to that. And I really believe in these next coming years, we're going to see a lot more of that. But we point them to Jesus and they'll follow him. And so this, these are some things you may need to consider and how you raise your kids. I have three kids. I have uh, two that are still at home, Josiah, who's 15, Joy, who's uh, nine, and I have a 23-year-old, Julia, who got married this last spring, and she has now moved to Canada. Praise Jesus. Anyway, um, <laughs> see, I'm not a perfect parent. Anyway, um, I think she may be watching. I'm not sure, but anyway... Um, you know, there are 936 weeks from birth to 18. 936 weeks. And, 
And, and this jar right here represents 936 marbles. 936 weeks. Each marble represents a week. And every week goes by, a marble goes out. There's nothing you can do to stop it. A marble goes, goes out. Each week, marble goes out. Marble goes out. So the question is, how do you want to use the marbles you have left? How do you want to use the marbles you have left in your kid's life as they are with you? Proverbs 90.12 gives us some important spirit-inspired advice. Listen to this. It says, teach us the number of, day, of our days. Teach us the number of our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So really, this is an invitation to begin with the end in mind. You can follow along in our notes in our bulletin or on our app. We need to begin with the end in mind. Where do you want your children to end when they leave you? Where do, does God want them to be when they leave? When they either go off to college or they go do their, whatever God's called them to do, whatever, where do you want them to end? It says, teach us, the, us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So begin with the end of mind. Think from the end backwards and how we are going to raise our kids. When you do this, the Bible says you gain a heart of wisdom on how to approach the next week, the next week, and the next week on how you parent. You know, my wife and I, we've raised one that is gone, um, that is married and out of our home. We have two kids left. And here's the jar that represents Julia. You see, I've lost all my marbles. <laughs> They're all gone. And in this message, I want to open up God's Word. And I want to show you what, what God says the end in mind is. And how we can order our lives to make sure that end comes out. How we can create margin with our kids. I think that's very important. Right? And that uh, when we're at the end, and they're gone, that we can smile. And I only have one that I've, I've, I'm going to give you some of my, my advice. But I also have over 15 years as a youth pastor of watching other parents parent. Watching what works and watching what doesn't work. And, uh, and so we need to begin with the end in mind. So what does the Bible say is the desired outcome for our kids, for his kids? What is the desired outcome when they leave, when, when we look at the end in mind? What do we want? Genesis 2.24 says this. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And from the intent of God, from the beginning, is that your kids will leave your house. It is a God thing. Come on, give the Lord praise for that. Amen? It is not a bad thing. It does, it's not easy, but it is not a, a, a bad thing. It is a good thing, but we want them to be equipped to leave, to, um, to be fully equipped to handle this life, to contribute to society, but to follow God. Because not all may not get married, but it's healthy that every one of our kids leave our house. And you may have dreams, oh, they're going to stay forever. No, those aren't good dreams. They need to leave. <laughs> Trust me, they are not good dreams. You want, there is 
There's a leaving that needs to happen. It is God's design. And as parents, we are to make sure that they're ready and they're set up for success as they follow the Lord. Now, Proverbs 22, 6, listen to this. This is the end. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. What is the way he go? That he follows the Lord. The word in the way he should go is, is really, if you translate it right, it's according to his bent. We are to study our kids. Not all of them are, are to be musicians. Not all of them are going to be athletes. Not all of them are going to be um, uh, creative in, in uh, drama or art or anything else. Not all of them are, are going to be a scholar, but our job is to figure out, God, how have you designed them? What is their bent? What are they made for? What are they, instead of forcing them into things, God, what is their bent? Who, who, and you need to be led by the Holy Spirit and asking the Lord, what is this? And our God job by God is to cheer them on, to guide them, and cheer them on to the unique calling that God has for them. Ephesians 6, 4 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. This is the end. I'm not supposed to provoke. The, the word provoke really means exasperate. I mean, I'm, I'm not supposed to force them or, or make them or angry or, or, or cause them to sin. I don't want them to have daddy issues when they, when they're, um, when they grow up. I want to lead and guide and and the word, the best word for this is called shepherd. To shepherd them in the ways of God, that when, they, that when they are getting older, that they're not going to depart from this. Shepherd our children. It's the parent's responsibility. You know, it's the parent's responsibility to be the, the number one discipleship maker in your home. It's not the church. It's not the youth pastor. It's not the children's pastor. It's not me. It's, it's you. When I was a youth pastor, I would have parents' meetings, and I would tell them, you are the number one youth pastor in your kid's life. I can never take that place. It is our job to disciple our kids. Listen, I am not giving anybody that, that, that job. I will not give them that job. I will learn. I will read books. I will do whatever we need to do to be able to disciple my kids. And my kids know that. I have help from Patrick, and I have help from other guys and leaders in this church. I'm very thankful for them. We have a great youth program here. But I will disciple Josiah. I will disciple Joy. And so that's what the whole heart of God is, that we become focused on what we do with them, that we shepherd them to love Jesus. That's the end of mind. That's the main thing. I don't care what my kids become as long as they love Jesus. I want them to love him with all their heart. Deuteronomy 6 gives us really a formula. Turn there. Deuteronomy 6, chapter 6, verse 6. It gives us a formula on how to do this. Look at what it says here. These commands that I give you today are to be on your heart. Now, number one, you have to have a heart for this. You have to have a heart for God. See, vision is not taught. It's caught. You and I have to have, to have our own prayer relationship. We, we have to have that. And it's important that you do. So these commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. And then verse 7, impress them on your children. How do you impress them? It tells us. Talk about them 
when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. So all the time, you're talking about the Lord. All the time, you are discipling them in some ways. And it's not meant that, oh, I have to have a Bible study every moment, every time. It's meant to, as we go through life, we are always pointing them to the Word of God. As we go through life, we're pointing them to prayer. We're having them calm down. We're having them talk to Jesus because He's the one that is able. Verse 8, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So everywhere. As a parent, this is what we're leading. This is the end in mind that they're going to love Jesus more than anything. Everything else is under the lordship of Christ, right? And is being guided by him, whether they're going to be an athlete, whether they're going to be a musician, whether they're going to be ballet, whatever it is, that it's under the lordship of Christ. Everything I do is going to be pointing them to Jesus. Everything we do. So it has to be on your heart, and we have to shepherd this in that direction. See, as, as at the end of our parenting journey, God wants our children to be centered on Him and equipped to live His will for their lives. So that, that actually determines what college they go to, or if they go to college. What trade school? Whatever God has for them, Ministry, whatever, that that's going to be led because we're pointing them to Jesus and Jesus becomes the Lord and they're seeking after the Lord in this. God has called them. Maybe God's called them to be an engineer. Maybe God has called them uh, to be the next Michael Jordan. And that they continue to come to our church and tithe. Anyway, and... Um, <laughs> so with the end in mind... Objective, firmly establishing Scripture, we ask ourselves, what's the obvious next question? What is the best thing we can do now for our children in the light of where we want them to end up? Okay? So this is a question I want you to ask yourself. What can we do now with maybe the marbles we have left? Now, trust me, I still have marbles in the sense with my daughter. I still can influence and talk, and I do. So what do we want to do next with our children that are home and our children that aren't at home? What does the Holy Spirit wants us to do? And how, where do we want to end up? And you need to, I can't answer that question for you. You have to answer that question. But I do want to deal with one thing, and that is with margin with our kids. I believe our kids are too busy. I believe schools make them too busy. They give too much homework. I do. I, I really believe that. I believe we make them busy because we've got them in so many activities, whether it be school, other outside of school activities, drama, sports, lessons, that they have too much activities. And, there's, and childhood has become an endangered species. It's an epidemic that exists in every crevice, every corner of America. We have our kids overscheduled. We're introducing them to that lifestyle of crowded loneliness where they really don't have lifelong friends and they, they don't even know how to develop friends outside of their different worlds. And we've drank the water and we're making them drink it too. 
And see, the problem is we, we're too busy, and we don't want to be busy, but we're feeding that to the kids. You know why? Because we're creatures of habit. In all, uh, all of suburbia, that's what it is, is that we see everybody else doing it, and we think this is the life we're supposed to have, and it's not. See, when the Hebrews gained freedom from slavery in Egypt, and made their way towards the promised land where they're going to have life and they're going to have dignity and they're going to have blessings and prosperity. They grumbled. What did they say? We had it better at, in Egypt. Let's go back. It's not that they wanted to go back to slavery. The problem was they knew how to do slavery well. It was comfortable for them. It was comfortable for them to, to do that. They didn't know how to do freedom. And so freedom was a little lot different to them. They, they felt like it was wrong. They felt like it wasn't, we weren't getting anywhere. They, they, they didn't have their, in a sense, they knew how to do slavery. And they kept on looking over their shoulder waiting for the, uh, the whip. And so they wanted to go back, not because they wanted the whip, because they, they got to a comfortable place. And I think that's the way we are today, that we, we know how to do slavery well. We're slaves to our schedules we're slaves to our accumulation of stuff. We're slaves to the, all this junk that's going on in our lives. We're slaves to this uh, uh, lifestyle, this Kool-Aid that we've drank. And we're afraid to get out of it because we're afraid we're going to miss out. But on the other side of freedom is freedom. You are free to be the family that God wanted you to be. And that God, that's what God wants. So, so the question is, am I overscheduling my children? Is this what they really want? Or is this what they really need? See, the way we're raising our kids is, 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 is causing a lot of issues. Now, there's been a lot of um, universities who have done research on this issue of us dragging our kids to this event, this event, this event, this thing, this thing, and this thing. And we are transporting to them to this adult-driven, highly structured, age-related activities. And it's having negative effects. And there's seven neg negative effects um, that have come across in this generation of young people. Number one is this, lost creativity. Kids today aren't as creative as kids in previous generations. Why? Because adults are doing everything for them. They're organizing the sports. They're organizing uh, the uh, events. They're doing everything for them. They're not as creative because, because they have lost the art of play or creativity. They don't have, even have time to be in their room and, and play by themselves. Or play outside with other people and make up games. They don't have time to run around and play with the other neighbors anymore because I've got to go to this, I have to go to that, and all these other things. They've lost creativity. They have also, number two, lost leadership skills. Jill Steinberg, and she's an associate specialist in child development at the University of Wisconsin, she writes this. A lot of the activities that kids have access to are very highly structured and not structured by the kids themselves, but by adults or the rules of the game. Normally, kids run games themselves if they are allowed to. But we've got them in structured daycare and structured school settings, so they have really have few opportunities to manage their activities on their own. But these are important experiences. 
By directing the activity, you learn how to negotiate rules, you learn how to referee yourself, and you learn how to take control and exercise leadership. And it's being lost today. The third thing that's being lost is loss of mentoring. I remember when I was a kid, we would, uh, we would go out in, in my neighborhood, and we wanted to play baseball. Baseball was a big thing where I was. And, um, and we would get kids from all around the neighborhood to try to field a team. And you would have kids that were younger than you. You would have kids that were older than you. How many guys remember that? Some of you guys who are as young as I am. You know, you, you, would, you would get out. And it didn't matter how good we are. You just needed people to, to form a team. And so well, that's what we would do. And so the young, older or the more experienced were mentor the least, younger or least experienced people. And you don't have that anymore. In our age-graded, adult-driven activities, our children have been robbed of the opportunity to experience and cultivate rich intergenerational mentorships. When I was a youth pastor, I I didn't want to split up our youth group on Wednesday nights. We had a lot of kids, and junior high kids were afraid to come. But we assured them and helped them be integrated. And so I get a call from a mom, and because... One of our high schools were high schoolers were in, were befriended a younger junior high kid, and uh, wanted them to come to um, his small group. And uh, was meeting and had asked the mom, had talked with the mom, met with the mom, and um, and she was saying this is kind of weird because you don't see that anymore, but it's really needed. In our, in our lives. We need the younger with the older. Just like we do here now. We need young, older to mentor younger. We need you older parents who have learned a lot. How many of you have old, who are older, who have kids out, you've learned what to do and what not to do. What worked and didn't work, right? We need you to give us some of your wisdom, right? We lost mentoring. The next thing that was lost is lost conflict management skills. You know, in previous generation, kids experienced unstructured play with adults nearby in their home or somewhere else. They were near. But they put the children in position to resolve the conflicts on their own. Now, sometimes that meant them coming home with a black eye. Right? But it was okay. They learned something. Right? But we've lost that. Given the chance, children will learn how to resolve most of their conflicts that break out in the sandbox, in the halls of their school, or in the baseball field. Now, today, kids usually watch adults jump in and also get black eyes because they don't know how to resolve conflict. It's lost. Lost conflict management. And the other thing is loss of health. You know, today there is a study that has been going on for years and started back in the 90s. Before that, you never heard these two words put together. Children and stress. Now it's a common thing. Children and stress. An editor of Healthy Kids magazine writes this. Whether they're running off to child cares, preschool, play dates, or after school activities, many children today are overscheduled. While they undoubtedly benefit from a variety of activities, children can suffer from burnout and overcommitment and experience stress just like adults. 
That is sad. Kids are stressed. And we know what stress happens. Stress, in fact, in America, stress is the inducer of what they call American diseases because it's really localized, a lot of them, in, the, in, in America. You know, America is the most um, medicated country in the world. Because what stress does, it brings anxiety, depression, insomnia, autoimmune diseases, hypertension, and even cancer is stress causes. Guess what? It's not just now an adult thing. It's a kid thing. Because we don't have margin with our kids. Loss of finances happen. All these activities cost you money. And we're going to deal with that next, in the next couple of weeks. Because sometimes you can't afford to do it. Amen? You can't afford to do it. So it puts us financial stress on your family budget. Did you know what the number one leading cause of divorce is financial stress? Visa, the credit card company, you know what they can do with an 80% success rate? They can tell in an area who's going to get divorced. 80% success rate because of finances. So if you want to know if you're going to get a divorce, call it Visa. No, call God. And this is what we talked about a couple weeks ago. Columbia University said this. Because we're overscheduling our people, our kids, where most of it happens is right after school and right after you get off work to the evening time, what is that called? Dinner time. They are missing dinner. It's not what they're, you know, they're missing something. Not what they're getting. They're missing something. And Columbia University said the number one deterrent to your, kid, your kids, smoking, drinking, doing drugs, engaging in premarital sex, gang involvement, is dinner with the family at least five nights a week. That convivium is what we need. Many of our, our children's activities are done during that time, and we're, we're overscheduling them. And let me just throw in one other thing. I believe our kids are missing out spiritually. When I was younger, kids' sports were never on Wednesday, or school activities, were never on Wednesday night. I remember because my church had, Wednesday, had, had their midweek service on Thursday night for some reason. All my school activities were on Thursday night. My, my, my school told me, I told them, I, I can't come. I got, you know, you got to be here because it's, it's Thursday night. And they, they, they ended up telling me, you just need to go to another church that has Wednesday night services. Because we don't touch Wednesday night, and they never touch Sunday morning. There are no boundaries anymore. And let me tell you something. There are no boundaries with your family anymore. They don't care. And what are we teaching our kids if we continually to have them outside of even our Sunday services? Where they don't come for weeks. What are we teaching our kids? You know, a lot of things that we're teaching them that Sunday is not no longer holy. Church is no longer holy. Praying and worship is no longer, no longer good. We're teaching them and we're taking them out 
and saying other things are more important. And I'm thankful for our families. We do have families that have to do that. And have, have, but I know our families, and I've talked to a few of them, they actually have church with their kids. And this is one of the things that if you have to be gone on, on, on weeks on end, number one, this is what you could do. And I wish all Christians would do this. Revolt. Start a revolution. Let me tell you something. And I know it's hard to do this. But if all the Christians stood up and said no, things would change. But it's hard to get everyone to stand up. So number two, you're the spiritual leader in your home. Honor God when you have to be gone on Sundays. Have church with your kids. Set your kids down. This, and I got this from somebody in our church. Set your kids down and tell them, we believe that it's God that you play this sport or you do this activity right now. Because of that, it's causing us to have to miss Sundays. But we believe it's God for you to do this. But we want you to know Sundays are important. Church is important. Prayer is important. Worship is important. But for this season, we're going to have to miss church these days. For this season, we're going to have to do this. But this is what we're going to do. We're going to have church together. We're going to pray together. We're going to worship together. And we're going to study God's word together. You be the priest of your family. Amen? You can do that. But you instill in them, because listen, majority of your kids will not get in to professional sports. 98% of them. We're not actually more than that. 98% of them won't even get a college, get into college with sports. Only 2% get college degrees. I mean, get college, uh, um, uh, what's that called? Scholarships, yeah, scholarships. Only 2%. So what are you training them with the end in mind? So if you feel like it's the Lord for them to play the sports or for them to do whatever, there's even some, you know, when they're in drama, sometimes they have to practice on Sundays. What you need to do is make sure you instill them with the end in mind. Do, they, do you want them to go to church and, and love Jesus after they're, they're gone? Yes. So let them know how important it is. And then the third thing I would love to see some of you do, let's do a pop-up church at the ball fields. We'll give you the tent. We'll give you the, the stuff to do it in. Get other families involved. And you, you, uh, you can preach it. I'll send a preacher with you. We've got many preachers here. Let's do a pop-up church at the ball fields. And let them know that this is important. Amen? So at least do the number two. Communicate with your kids. That this is important. Amen? It's so important. There's a, a, um, a, a, vi a video I want to show here. And it's from a documentary called In Search for Greatness. It's a great documentary. You should rent it. Um, because it's, it's, it, they interview some of the greatest athletes of all time. And ask them what makes them great. And here is Wayne Gretzky. Look what he says about sports today. Go ahead, guys. In a, in a minor hockey team in my hometown, Brantford, Ontario. And there was a team in, in just north of Toronto. And every tournament, they beat us 3-2 or 4-3 in the final. And I remember being in the car one day, driving home from a tournament. My dad was driving. 
And my dad said the most incredible statement, I always remember it since I was 10 years old. He said, you know, they're a team that's better as a team than you guys are. But he said, I'll promise you one thing, there won't be one boy from that team that ever plays in the NHL because they're too structured, they play too much of a team game, the defense stay back, the left winger and right winger stay on their side, and for kids, that's not the way to play. And sure enough, there wasn't one kid on that team that made pro hockey. And we had five boys off our minor team that made the National Hockey League. There's a great study recently out of the German soccer team, which just won the World Cup, looking at the development path of the guys who made the national team and the guys who were one rung below that. And the only big difference they could come up with was that the guys who made the national team played a, had a lot more time in unstructured, small-sided play when they were young, where the field might just be like an alley that wasn't normal proportions, and continued with more unstructured play into pros. That was like the main difference they could find. A big part of it is giving people the freedom to experiment and try and fail and make mistakes when they're younger. You actually see this in chess. If kids study too rigidly certain types of openings, they literally become stuck in a certain pattern of playing and hit a plateau and never get better. They have to be given a certain amount of unstructured time to create and, and to find themselves. If you take 10 kids to a pond today and said to them, all right, go play, they'd say, well, what do we do? Because they're all so structured now, and so it's so analytical now. We were much freer to come and go then than I think kids are now. There was much more free time in school than there is now. We've lost our creativity and imagination that we used to have in the 60s and 70s and 80s. I was looking at a report recently that was saying that, uh, on average, kids today in urban settings in America have less unstructured time than the average high security prisoner. And if you think of it, that's probably right. I mean, even high security prisoners get to get outside for like half an hour a day. When I was 10 years old. That's awesome. You know, the thing about it is, is that um, we need to create margin. Now, you as a parent, you have to pray. What part in my kid's life do I need to change? Am I forcing them to do things maybe they're not, they're not bent to do, right? Now my son is um, six foot three. Six foot three, how did he get that tall? And uh, I, I, I love basketball. I'm, I love basketball playing basketball but I'm short I'm five foot nine I think I might have shrunk a little bit but I'm a I'm a I'm a very white boy who can't dribble jump or shoot but I love basketball <laughs> my favorite sport to play but I it's the I, I'm the worst at it so my my I'm looking at him I'm thinking you're the tallest one in your class you need to play basketball and I can live my dream through you. And so he played basketball, and he likes basketball. But I asked him, do you want to play basketball this year? He says, Dad, I think I'm, I, don't, I don't know if I want to play basketball. But you know what he's really good at? Piano. 
guitar. Worship. You've got to find their bent. What are they bent to? So everything that we do, we lay at the cross of Jesus. And we say, God, what do I need to do? Let me give you three things right now. And then I want you to take these home and I want you to pray. And ask the Lord, with the end in mind, what do I need to change? What do I need to change? Remember, there's no shame, no condemnation. Please don't allow that in your life. But ask the Lord what you need to change. Number one, we need to say no. Learn to say no. This is the easiest, the modest thing you can do. Limit the activities your children get involved with each year. Limit them. If they don't have margin to do anything, if they're always just doing homework and going to practice or doing some other activity, going to lessons, they, don't, they need margin. They need a Sabbath, just like you need a Sabbath. They need time off. They need time to play and do nothing. It is okay for kids to do nothing. They need it. The same way it's okay for you to do nothing. Amen? So say no. Number two, it's, it's more substantial. You need to choose wisely of what you do as a family. Choose times for family dinners, friendly activities that can be done anytime. Do stuff together as a family. And number three, this is a radical one, especially for you guys if you play sports. Let me give you some, some idea. Let the kids play. Limit organized sports and other activities outside of school until they're in junior high. Studies have shown that if you start your kids young in sports, 70% of them, Michigan State University, 70% of them will be burned out by the, by the time they're in high school. They'll be burned out. They won't want to do it anymore. In fact, most, most kids are not biologically ready and coordinated enough to play sports until they're 11 or 12. Have you ever seen a four-year-old soccer game? Now, it may bring some comedic relief for you, but um, watch limited, limited, okay? And ask the Lord, Lord, what do we need to do? I want to encourage you to break from the pack, to live counter-culturally. I'm not saying they don't belong in sports or in other activities. In fact, I think it's good that they can be involved in that. But be led by the Holy Spirit, but don't overdo it. I know kids who are involved in sports year-round. Year-round. It doesn't ever stop. And then they have school, and you expect them to make good grades in school. Let me tell you something. It is putting a lot of stress on them. They're having lots of homework. They're, I mean, they're stressed out. See, this message is not about shaming. It's, it's not about condemnation. It's about giving you permission to take control of your life back. 
It's about, t- about taking something away from you. It's not about just taking something away, but giving you something that's far more precious, margin to be a family. Amen? Margin to do what God's called you to do. To be who God's called you to be. So what we talked about, and I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you as a, as a mom, as a dad, as a grandparent. I want you to, to pray and ask the Lord, what do I need to do? What do I need to, to change? Because I only have so many marbles left. They will leave. And I pray that they leave with the end in mind, that they're ready for this world. They're confident in Jesus. They're set up for success in all that God has for them. Amen? And they're happy. They're joyful. God has honored you with being a parent, being a grandparent. What are you going to do with that? He's equipped you. He's anointed you. And you can hear God for your kids. Let's bow our heads and let's close.